Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. Every other week, we dive into the topics that matter to moms most, answering your most pressing questions as we learn from top-notch experts, swap stories, tap into our creative sides, and advocate for the causes that moms truly care about, all while hanging with your mom friends. We're so glad you're here. Let's dive in. It's Mama Needs a Moment, and we're glad you're here. If this is your first visit, we're honored to have you listening and look forward to sharing a very special episode with you. It's inevitable that we will experience challenges in our lifetime. There seems to be a constant ebb and flow of joy and heartache throughout life, which constantly morphs us into wiser, more resilient versions of ourselves. For Kim Wierzel, some of the biggest challenges she faced over the past 78 years have been the guideposts to her making this year's goal about enjoying the life that she's built and finding pleasure in the journey. Kim's husband of 20 years was tragically lost, which altered her life, the lives of their two young biological children and Kim's two older stepchildren. She talks to us about the process of working through the trauma of their loss. Kim provides details on how she went from doing very little movement after her husband's passing to becoming a fitness studio owner of two total row locations, all while working a day job. She also very openly shares the process of supporting her transgender child and finding a loving connection with another person after loss. This is an honest recount of the struggle found in Kim and her family's daily healing building back up the courage to date again, and why she's begun to refocus on finding pleasure in the journey of life. And now here's our chat with Kim Wiersel. All right, Kim, fill in the blank. Motherhood is amazing. (laughs) That's yay. Great. Like, I know motherhood has its challenges. It's, you know, it's hard. It's messy. It's gross, you know, challenging. It's exhausting. But when you take all that together, it's really pretty amazing. Like you've created these humans and they're kind of cool. Like even when they're jerks, I still like them. (laughs) And it's just to watch somebody and watch their brains develop and watch that happen. I just feel like I'm, you know, in some sort of science experiment. And it's just, it's just amazing to me. Oh, I love that science experiment that it is so true. A psychology, a sociology experiment. When you put that lens on it, I'm, I'm all about it. I love it. Um, Kim, how, how old are your kids? You have slightly older kids, don't you? I do. Um, my, my oldest is 17 going on 40. My younger boy (laughs) is 15. I'm also a stepmom from my first husband. He got married young. And so I have a 37-year-old stepson and a 35-year-old stepdaughter. And my partner, he started having children late. And so he's got a (laughs) seven-year-old. Wow. Yeah. So we've got sort of got it all going on here, don't we? All the age ranges, all the stages of development going on right there. Yeah. You just need a toddler. No, I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Motherhood is amazing. Toddlerhood is gross. (laughs) You mentioned the word gross and I, I have a toddler. I felt very connected to that. uh, that. 
You didn't realize you had to teach people not to lick things. <laughs> or put shoes in their mouths. And yeah, yeah. Or put shoes in their mouths. Toddlers. <laughs> My daughter is four and she has just hit the phase of being just obsessed with pee and poo. Oh, everything. It. Like, it's just everything has to do with that pee and poo. That doesn't go now. away. <laughs> it doesn't go away. <laughs> well, wait, let's ask him. When they're 17, does that go away? <laughs> Talk to you about it, but they do find farting delightful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I have I'll this t- story. When my um, kids were younger, like eight, nine, my older boy used to go in and fart in his younger brother's room. And so my younger brother, <laughs> younger boy got so mad that he, but he decided he was going to profit off of it. So he literally made a menu, a list for Robert to come fart in his room. He had to pay 25 cents. If they were stinky farts, he had to pay 50. Oh my God. <laughs> it was a whole list. It was hysterical. You That's have an a, entrepreneur in the making. I was going to say, you have a budding <laughs> entrepreneur on your hands. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right, Kim, what do you value most in a friendship? Kind honesty. Like I like my friends to, to call me on my stuff, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. Right? Like Kim, you've been a little distant here lately. I'm feeling a little neglected or, you know, is that really a good decision? But you can say it with kindness. Oh, I really, as a sensitive person. I very much approve. Like I want people to be honest with me, but yeah, if, if you say it in any kind of harsh way, it's going to hit really deep. So yes, in a kind way, I do appreciate. Kind um, honesty. <laughs> I, I like that. What's the most daring thing you've ever done? Physically, it was doing a Spartan race, did a 5k with my older boy and I am not, I mean, in spite of the fact that I own a gym, I am not athletic. I may be fit, but I am not graceful. I have no rhythm. I am not athletic at all. And so the fact that I was able to do this thing, it really was the scariest thing I've ever done. Professionally, this business, (laughs) opening up a new business in the middle of a pandemic and sort of emotionally falling in love again after losing my husband of 20 years. That was a huge, huge risk and quite daring if I do say so myself. <laughs> yeah, well, we that went through the whole, I, I had a thought after each one and now I feel emotional. So <laughs> no, no, I, as we thought of the questions when we knew that we were going to talk to you and everything, I felt that there might be some emotion in here at, at different points. So I'm yeah. prepared for that. But I did just want to throw out that the fact that you did a Spartan race and I've seen you leading classes at Total Row <laughs> Raleigh. So I would venture to contradict you a bit oh. and say that you are athletic. I've seen your athleticism at work. So I just want to- Well, it's a new thing. <laughs> hey, new athleticism is just as good as old. Maybe even better. Maybe, Maybe even better. It's fresher and vibrant. Well, speaking of Total Row- which we love Total Row Raleigh. It's been a sponsor of this podcast and, you know, it's a perk partner of her circle. We love Kim. We get to go in and take Total Row classes. They're so much fun. So we know what we love about it, but you also said it's the most challenging thing. What do you love? What's your favorite thing about owning and operating and running Total Row? I think it is seeing people do hard things. We all get in a rut 
and to, to venture out and to, to really explore what your body can do in an environment where folks are not telling you that you need to be skinnier or anything like that, or you need to be heavier or, you know, with no body judgment, it is all about performance. So that is what I really, truly enjoy is watching people blossom and feel more comfortable in their bodies and realizing that they are amazing things. These, these bodies that have created humans and done lots of hard things and, you know, come in and row and just enjoy that feeling. Yeah. And it is such a unique workout. I mean, it's such a unique, it it very much is performance-based and it's so challenging, but so rewarding at the same time. Like when you see those numbers coming up or you finally get the form down. I mean, I know when I'm doing it, there's one part of the form where I have to really concentrate. I think it's like the part where you lean back because I want to do it much quicker and like not with my abs and (laughs) So I'm like concentrating really hard. It's use it's new neural connections, right? I, I'm finding yes. new ways to do it. So love, I love that. that. Yeah. yeah. What advice would you give your younger self? Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. Ooh. <laughs> Tell us more. So, you know, we all fall into this trap of thinking that that we don't want to do things that we're not good at. If we don't get it right away, or you can't enjoy it if you're not good at it. I'm a terrible singer. I should just enjoy singing, even if I'm terrible at it, like to just find pleasure, even if you're not good at something and just do it for the sheer joy of doing it. And anything worth doing is worth doing poorly means if it's worth it to exercise, it's worth it to do it for 10 minutes. If you don't have time for an hour. If you are working on reading a book or developing some other part of your your life, it's worth it to do it for 10 minutes if you don't have the time to focus 100%. It's okay to be bad at something. Yeah, I love the idea of, I mean, essentially you're saying leave perfectionism at the door, you know, try it, be willing to fail and, and, and challenge yourself in trying something new. Absolutely. It's amazing how early this gets ingrained in you too. We're talking to my 11 year old about it, trying new things. And she's just very hesitant to try something that she might be bad at. Yeah. I see that with my Mm four-year-old. So, and and that comes down a lot, I think, to personality too with her. I very much see that in her personality, but yeah. And and how do you shift that out of your children? You know, like really teach them to- I've really struggled with that sometimes, but what I have tried to do is to praise the effort and not praise the results. Oh my gosh, you tried so hard. I'm so proud of how often you practice piano. Great job. And then also, you know, trying to remind them there's always going to be somebody better at something than you. And there's always going to be somebody worse. So you don't have to be the best and you don't have to make fun of people who are the worst because that could be you. Like you started out somewhere. And just sort of saying that over and over and over. So far, I think it's okay. My kids don't seem to be as afraid of failure as I was. (laughs) When your children were younger, did that kind of parenting? So I try very hard to Mm -hmm. embrace the, you know, praising effort and things like that. But it's very natural still to me to this day to say, good job, you know, about something they've completed and done. 
did you find when your child was young and when your children were young that it came naturally to you or did you have to work really hard and practice? (laughs) I had to work really hard and practice at it. And, you know, sometimes I would catch myself, good job. I'm proud of you for trying that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, you have to work at it. (laughs) So I take that as meaning there's hope for me yet. Thank you, Kim. (laughs) All right. What are you reading or watching right now? So I actually picked up a book called A Most Beautiful Thing. I haven't started it yet. It came up, I think, on Goodreads or something. And it is this the story of the first all-Black high school rowing team. And I, yeah, I thought that was fascinating. It's by Arshea Cooper. And it's this, this group of rowers. I think they were up in Chicago. Again, I haven't started it yet. But I thought since we're going, you know, with all of the social justice out there and all of the conversations we're having about race, I just thought, what a fantastic thing to try to get my teeth into for, you know, this time of year. It's, I don't know. I just think it's interesting. (laughs) And how well suited to you too. That's fantastic. Goodreads knows you very well. They do. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Does your family have a motto, spoken or unspoken? If there is one, it's it's unspoken. Um, Although maybe not. We're in this together. You know, my family has survived a fair bit. My children lost their dad. And we try, I try really hard to focus on we're a family. We get mad at each other. I get angry with you. You get frustrated with me. But we're really here for each other. No matter what, we will get through it. And we will get through it by relying on each other. You need to step in and and maybe do the dishes more than you like to when I'm busy at the rowing studio. And I need to step up and make sure that I attend your, you know, your band concert and make time and space for you to come to me as your, as a mom. But that at the end of the day, we're a family and we're together. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think that's something every family should practice as a motto. It's easy to get lost in the day-to-day, I think, and kind of lose sight of how you do support and lift each other up. So I think that's very powerful. Do you have a bucket list? And if so, what are a couple things on it? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this question and I don't have a bucket list. I had a, an, I've done some fun and amazing things and some crazy things. Uh, my, my parents were in the military. I was in the military. We traveled Europe. We got to do all sorts of fun things. So really, I've decided to focus in some ways smaller and bigger at the same time. My goal for 2022 is to, to focus again on, on enjoying the life that I have this life that I have built and really just relishing how the kids are growing up and how they're turning into these amazing people and just enjoying the journey. It is so hard to do. Um, mm-hmm. you know, for a while there, I was really good at it because, you know, a sudden loss. And then as we get more comfortable in our life, it's easy to forget those important lessons. And I've, I've decided to make 2022 the year that I bring that back full circle and recapture that appreciation without the grief. (laughs) Yeah. So that's my bucket list, I guess, is, is to focus closer home. Oh, I love that. I think I want to join you. Can we we make an accountability group for this? (laughs) 
Why not? Because it is. It is so hard. But I, I'm with you. It it makes all the difference in the world when you're able to just focus in on the moment and you know really be present and appreciate what you have right now. It's right. just it changes your world. Even if it's not perfect, it's what you have right now. Enjoy the journey. Let's talk a little bit about rowing and how you found rowing a few years ago. What do you love about it? And how has it changed your life for the better? I love that it is low impact, but very intense. So I found it, you know, my husband and I were very comfortable in our middle age. (laughs) And I don't, you know, he died by suicide in September, 2014. So it was a bit traumatizing for all involved. And, you know, like I said, we were comfortable in our middle age. We drinking and laughing. We entertained a lot. He was the life of the party. He loved having all the neighbors over. We loved going to the neighbor's houses. I mean, there would be literal street parties on our block because like, oh, you got some wine. I've got some chicken. Like, let's all just hang out in the street. And then after he passed, I was really focused on taking care of the kids. I want, you know, this was a traumatic loss for them. They were eight and nine going on 10 at the time. So this was a, this really rocked their world. So I really focused on making sure that they were okay, getting counseling, doing different grief support groups. Everybody should support comfort zone camp. They are amazing. Free camp for kids that are grieving the loss of a parent or, or a caregiver. So that's what I focused on. And then when we, you know, we sold the big giant house and moved into something a little smaller, a little bit more manageable. And I pretty much just sat on the couch. If I wasn't actively taking care of the kids or doing something that had to be done, I was sitting on the couch, watching TV, eating my feelings. Self-care was sort of by the wayside. And after a little while, I realized that I was killing myself. I was just doing it more slowly. So my first goal was to just move. I didn't care about how much I weighed. I still don't really care about how much I weigh. Uh, It was focused on being healthy and being able to be around so my kids wouldn't be freaking orphans. So my exercise routine literally consisted of not sending the children upstairs to get the laundry, making myself get up off the couch and go do the laundry, making myself prepare a meal, making myself like take a shower. My, My workouts were literally that simple, walking to the mailbox. And then, you know, they're still children and they were interested in doing after school activities. So I was like, I need to find something that I can do at the same time because we got to be efficient too, right? Because <laughs> we don't have all this time. We have to find a way to do it all at the same time. And we stumbled across this workout warrior tech. I don't know if you've heard of them. They do camps. It's American Ninja Warrior training. It's obstacle course racing. And they had kids classes. And in the same facility at the same time, they had adult fitness classes. So my kids could go swing on monkey bars and stuff and do all of that and climb up warp walls while I was exercising with a coach. I literally couldn't do a squat. I had to have a box underneath my butt in order to do a squat. That's just like, and they were so, I mean, I highly recommend anybody who wants to go to warrior tech, you really should. It's good for the kids. It's good for the adults. And they were so kind and I never felt judged. I never felt like I was holding anybody back. You know, they were just helping me get better. And over time, 
I just kept getting better and got the bug and got the bug and got better and got better and did the obstacle course race and like just really enjoyed being physically fit and wanted to find a way to help others feel as good as I felt. I have a day job and in the wintertime, it's pretty slow. So I thought, well, maybe I'll just open something fitness related and, and make that a part of my journey. And I was like exploring around and I stumbled across Total Row, went down to Atlanta and met with them. And I loved their entire vibe about body acceptance and positivity and being able to do the workout. Somebody who is like an athlete, Olympic level athlete can have a workout in the same class as somebody who was out of shape the way I was, you know, four years ago when I was first starting out five years ago. And they can be in the same class on a rower. I can't do the impact. I'm 52. I can't do the impact like I used to. I I abused my body when I was younger. And so running wasn't really something I can do regularly. And I didn't like all of the flashy lights of some of these other fitness studios. (laughs) So rowing it is. (laughs) It sounds like you started small, which is exactly what you had mentioned in our get to know you questions, where you encourage your kids to start small or just do little things to get you to where you're going. And I'm so curious your motivation, because that can be one of the hardest things for people is to find something that's going to keep them going. Even during your really sad period, you were, you were still grieving. You're, you're, I mean, you'll always be grieving. Right. Was your, why your kids or were you looking more towards how it felt or how did you motivate yourself? So in the beginning, it, it was my kids. It very much was I need to be healthy. I mean, I did research into like the blue zones and eating healthy and the people who live the longest. I didn't do research in getting fit. I did research into living a long time. And what I saw as the common theme was eating complete foods, you know, not, you don't have to give up Oreos, but the majority of your diet should consist of things that flew, walked, swam, or grew in the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And moving. Like if you look at those blue zones, the folks, you know, as an owner of a gym, maybe I shouldn't say this, but the folks that live the longest, they aren't the ones that are necessarily out there pounding the pavement and trying to be the best athlete. They're the people that just walk a lot. They're the folks who just eat and enjoy their food and their relationships. They just move. And that's where I started was just moving. No, you don't have to be a world-class athlete to be healthy. You don't. You don't have to be a size six to be healthy. You just need to move your body and eat wholesome foods for the most part. I mean, pizza, that's a whole food. I'm sorry. (laughs) Right up my alley. (laughs) Right up my alley there. You put brownies in there, then you have a best friend for life with Chris. <laughs> pizza and brownies, Kim. Let's go do it. Just let's one night just go out pizza and brownies. But the brownies pizza. have to be a little bit doughy. Yeah. Gooey. Uh, I, I, I call gooey. gooey. Not sloppy. <laughs> well, 
you started small, but no longer because you now own and manage two Total Row Studios in the Raleigh area, which we mentioned before. And I'm super excited for the second location to open. Yep. What has been most challenging for you in launching a business while being a mother? How do you balance it all? Occasionally, very poorly. Um, and sometimes it takes my partner, uh, my boyfriend, Dan, to remind me that you are still going to drop some balls to give yourself grace to talk. My children are old enough now that I can talk to them when I drop the ball. Like, I'm so sorry. I should have been here for that. Or, you know, to, to just apologize for, for whatever ball I dropped. And then I think the other thing is to remember that I think balance is bullshit. Sorry. I hope that doesn't offend anybody. (laughs) Gosh, no. So true. (laughs) It doesn't exist. I think that, yes, that's our goal, but you need to give yourself grace. There are times that you have to focus on your career and your kids aren't aren't in the back burner, but just sort of let them go at a gentle boil. Like you just don't have to tend to them all the time. You get them where they can just They can just maintain while you focus on the business or focus on your health or focus on whatever it is. Another thing that I have come to realize as it really is about choices. And I don't mean that you could choose to be unhealthy in some sort of judgmental way, or I could say that is not a priority right now. And that's okay. I can let it go and focus. The priority needs to be getting this business up and running or the priority needs to be my son is not doing well in a class and I need to make that my priority. That means that sometimes I'm not going to do the social media post I probably should have done. I'm not going to like bake the chicken I should have baked and and to embrace that choice, do it with intention. I I think that's really the, the only way you can do it and keep your sanity. Absolutely. We recently, we've had a number of experts on actually over the past couple of years who have talked about balance, you know, and that it is not possible. And the preferred term amongst a lot of the experts is in fact, integration, work-life integration. Yeah. And, and you're exactly right. It changes, you know, our, our life is, is fluid. It's constantly changing and we need to be flexible in, in our priorities in the moment. And, but at the same time, we need to be true to our values. And that was a big part at, you know, looking at the work-life integration is what are your values? What are your priorities? What are important to you? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're launching the second location, clearly that might be high on the priority scale and an important value for you. Um, so things have to shift and move around and we need that flexibility. But if you have this like, rigid view of balance and what that is, that makes it much harder because there are certain times in life where yes, your, your career or your children or your marriage might take more time. It might require more effort. And and we just need to be prepared to do that where your health, your workouts and your nutrition might take a backseat and that's okay. Yeah. So yeah, I definitely appreciate that. Kim, a few times you've mentioned the trauma of losing your husband and that actually earlier you had mentioned that you're embarking the world of dating and Mm you, you actually embarked on that in your forties, right? You were in your forties. 
what does it look like for you? Do you have, we'd love to hear some stories, <laughs> the, the, any funny stories, things that have been challenging. We'd also really like to hear if there's been any blessings that have been mixed up in all of it. I think I was pretty fortunate. Um, I have been married for 20 plus years and so dating has changed a lot <laughs> in that time. Are you talking online? I mean, we didn't like, even really have a lot. I know. <laughs> so it's so funny. I went to this widows conference. Like there's a thing. It's it's a widows, um, widows and widowers. Um, so it was this conference in, it was down in Tampa and Soaring Spirits and um, Camp Widow is what they called it. And it was, it's actually an amazing organization. The, the founder of the organization lost her husband in a, bicycle accident. And so it's like, have you ever been to a conference where you have breakout groups and like, it's just like that, but the topics are, you know, dating in widowhood. One breakout was about your finances and how to manage your finances. Now that you don't have a partner, another breakout was traumatic loss where, you know, you had folks there whose, whose loved one had been killed in very terrible ways. Like there's just all these interesting breakout groups. And so I had started getting to the point where I was thinking about dating again. I wasn't in a hurry, but I was like, I'm kind of thinking about it. And I met this group of much younger women than me. And they were just talking about online dating. I thought tender and all this other stuff. Like, oh my God, how do I even get started in this? It's just crazy. And they had funny stories. And it was so amazing to, to talk to these, these amazing women and how they had moved and incorporated the grief and then started reaching out and teaching old people like me how to build, like I made a Tinder profile right there. <laughs> it was Tinder, so- I, we, we didn't even have that, have that no, like, like that 15 was years ago when I got married. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it was weird. You didn't meet people online. It was creepy. <laughs> There's no other way. When am I supposed to meet people? I'm 52. Right. I work in a an office full of women. Like, where am I going to meet people? It's crazy. Anyway, so they they sort of coached me through the idea that it's not just for hookups. It can be. That's your thing. No judgment. But that if there are ways to, to, you know, how to craft your profile to make sure that you're not attracting the creeps. Funny stories, you know, mostly it was just meeting people. I, you know, we just didn't have any chemistry. I only had a couple of times where I was like, Dude, that profile picture is clearly 15 years old. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, no. like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. You're 55. <laughs> I thought you were young looking 55, but like, I almost didn't recognize him. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like, do you think we're not going to figure it out when you show up? <laughs> and now there's the problem with masks. We were just talking about that. Like yeah. you, you learn to, to, know people from their eyes and then yeah. they pull down their masks and you're like, that's not what I thought. <laughs> that's not what I pictured. Oh, that's happened a few times, but no, mostly it was just, I would meet people. We'd have a pleasant cup of coffee or a pleasant. I was so nervous though. I was so scared. Like I must've been the first few days, just the most, I was just sitting so stiffly and carefully and protecting my drink. And, and, it, you know, being a mom adds another layer. I can't take the kind of risks I may have taken when I was, young and single and didn't have any responsibilities because now I have to think about coming home to my children. I have to think about their safety. So my safety takes on a different level of importance that has more to do with making sure that I protect them 
versus when I was 22 and might have, you know, done that thing. Yeah, I'm <laughs> sure. With that Absolutely. stranger in a bar. Like, <laughs> <laughs> not so much now. Dating wise, I would say I was pretty brutally efficient about it. I sort of focused on it and one red flag gone. Like I kind of appreciated the efficiency of it all. There were a couple of times I had matched up with somebody and they were like, what are you looking for? It's like, oh, I'm looking for somebody to hang out with, you know, see where it goes. Not necessarily looking for anything serious, but not, not looking for it. And then the guy would reply, I'm looking for a hookup, happy hunt, you know, no, no harm, no foul, happy hunting, haven't, you know, like there was no drama about it. It's like, it was all up front. This is what he wants. It's not where I'm at. And we can shake hands and move on with our life. I kind of appreciated that efficiency, honestly. So different from when you first were dating earlier. Did you feel like it had a different vibe? I do. I do. Yeah. I wonder if the efficiency, and this might be kind of what you were alluding to, Cindy, I wonder if the efficiency comes from the online apps or if it's from being older. Uh, like if younger kids using these apps have that same level of efficiency, I, I kind of doubt it. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Maybe when I was younger, I would not have been as efficient. Well, because you have more, you're right, because you have more time to make your mistakes. You are maybe- a You know what more, you're looking for. I do. Yeah. <laughs> And I was looking for somebody who was kind and considerate and didn't need a mama. (laughs) Well, those red flags, when you're younger, you don't really see the repercussions of them as much as you do when you're older. You've lived with somebody, you had a partner, you know how hard it is to make it work. And if there's a red flag, that's there. (laughs) You can't fix them. (laughs) Right, right, right. You know your values, like you know what matches up with you, what you enjoy. It makes all the difference in the world to like, I think younger, you're still exploring. You're still, hmm, do I like a person that does this thing or that thing? And it's just, it's different as you have that experience under your belt. I, I think you're right about that. Okay. So switching gears a little bit, we've previously talked with you and you have mentioned before to us that you have a transgender child and they are completely fine with us discussing this. Can you talk to us a bit about what this has looked like for your family? I think the hardest part for me personally was seeing how upset he was when he came to tell me because we have always talked pretty openly about LGBTQIA, like we've never had conversations or been at least not intentionally homophobic. You know, I've always said, oh, you know, when you have your boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever, I don't care, just as long as they're kind. So it it was almost a little heartbreaking that he struggled to come tell me which is odd. I I felt like, oh my gosh, I wanted to be this warm, nurturing mom that you could come to me with anything. And yet he was crying and just like, mom. And he said he knew I would accept him, of course, but it was still a struggle. So what it's looked like for us is navigating the school system, which I have to say has been remarkably good. It was sort of a non-issue like, oh, well, he's got a class here at this period. So if he's practicing using the men's 
restroom, then this is a good one to practice in because it's, it's pretty, it's not very busy, you know, or if he wants to come into the teacher's lounge and use that. So I was pretty impressed with that. We were able to change the name and in the school, like you still have to use his birth name for various things officially, but like on the computer, personally, I have found the family to be very accepting, which I was very happy about because there's some pretty conservative religious folks in the family and it could have been older. It could have been a struggle for them and they have embraced them, him with open arms and the one person that didn't, well, they're no longer a part of our life and that's, that's okay. They don't need to be part of our lives. They, they're the ones missing out. But honestly, it's been, I mean, the struggle is the medical interventions. You know, it's hard at this age, 15, to know that you're giving your child medication that will change their bodies for the rest of their life. Even if they go off of the medication later, there's risks associated with testosterone. Their bodies are going to be changed. Even if they decide to go off of it, they'll always be a little hairier, all of that. So it was a bit of a struggle to make those kinds of decisions at this early of an age. Having said that, my child is happier than he has been in years and years. To see him come out of his shell, to start making more friends at school, to start really enjoying life, is, it's been incredible. And it's like, okay, this is clearly the right decision because he's just his most true self now. Yeah, that's phenomenal to hear about really all of it. I mean, how accepting you were, your family, and then the schools in particular. We have had Susie Silver. She's a diversity and inclusion instructor with the diversity movement. And she's come on and and talked uh, specifically. She used to be an educator also. And she talked about the challenges of navigating these things in the school system. And Mm -hmm. that has been a really, really interesting thing in my mind to kind of unpack what that looks like. So it's very exciting to hear that, you know, they are so accommodating and working to find, you know, maps in the the school that work and and things like that. So I found that hopeful. I I think that that's a a very hopeful sign. How about other students? How has that been? It's been just fine. In fact, my older boy, he's like, oh yeah, we had one kid. He's been a boy. He's been a girl. She's like, he's like been back and forth. Like I think Gen Z for the most part or Gen Alpha, I guess it is. They don't, they're like gender's a construct, you know, sexuality is like, it just doesn't even occur to them for this to be an issue. Like, oh, he wants to be called they. Okay. <laughs> Obviously we're in a more urban environment. I certain that there are pockets of folks who are unkind and unaccepting. In the school, I'm sure there are folks that are hateful everywhere, but overall the students have been like they don't care. And he's made lots of new friends. Many of them don't even know because the pandemic and the transitioning started happening during the pandemic. Many of them don't even know him as anything other than a boy. And the folks that knew him as a girl in middle school are like, oh, hey, okay, I'll call you by this name. <laughs> Seems to be no big deal. And I love it. such an amazing thing about this generation. I, I saw it as a teacher in, in the student seats, just 
from when we were growing up, you know, when we were at that teen, those teen years, it's such a huge difference. And it blew my mind. And I was so amazed and impressed by this generation. Uh, it, it really does warm your heart and give you a lot of hope for the future. Yeah. So I love this generation. I am so excited. Everybody like wants to poo poo on them. They're living the things we always talked about, like taking mental health time, um, taking care of yourself, not like throwing yourself so far into work that you lose everything. They're doing what we've been preaching for all these years. And now we want to get mad at them for doing it. Like that just, I'm, I think this generation is going to be fine. I volunteer sometimes for my son, my older boy's band to raise money for the band at Red Hat, you know, serving beer and raising money. And I went to an ED, I was serving at an EDM concert. And so there was all these youngsters out there. And I just, I was blown away, kind. Now they tip terribly because they're all broke. (laughs) But, you know. But they say thank you. They treat. They seem to treat each. I just. I adore this. I adore this generation. I think we're going to be all right. I'm out of curiosity, and also because we do have a lot of moms that listen to our podcast. Did your son show signs that you picked up on, or I mean, because you you said you are automatically using inclusive language in your family. So I was just curious if you could talk about that a little bit. Um, it was, it was a little bit of a surprise. I was surprised. He's always been a tomboy, you know, with his best buddy in the neighborhood. Like they used to like go, we lived near Umstead Park and they were in the woods all the time. They were like, they were catching frogs, but he's always talked about being a tomboy. I'm a tomboy. And he had a time there where he wanted pierced ears and he, you know, he wanted shorty shorts, went through that. But I think once he started getting into middle school and started seeing, because that seems to be where true gender differences manifest a lot, or maybe that's not true. Maybe because my kid has always been a tomboy, I just didn't notice it before then. He's never into princesses. Not that boys can't be. (laughs) It was kind of a surprise because I thought he was just a tomboy. I was like, okay, maybe it's going to be a lesbian. I don't care. But no, he was like, no, I, he always preferred to dress more masculinely. I kind of blamed that on my, my husband though, because, so I had my older boy first and my husband, you know, he took paternity leave. He was able to stay home with him for three months. So I was home for three months. He was home for three months. And then he went back, you know, we all went back to work and went back to daycare. When I had my second son, which is the one who's transgendered, my husband stayed home with him and he was too lazy to put him in girly clothes. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, he just put him in the sleeper and it was the hand-me-down sleepers from his older brother. And he's, I was like, that's why he's a tomboy. (laughs) That's not why he's transgender. That has nothing to do with it. So it just never really, I never cued in and I'm not a princessy person. Like I'm not, I, I did not push a feminine narrative I just, cause it's not my thing. And so I just assumed that's how he was, but nope, turns out it was deeper than that. And you are a stepmom as well. And yeah. we'd love to have you talk about that, about how it's been for you to build that relationship along the way and lessons that you've learned in that area. 
So the older stepkids, I was a young bride. I was 24 when we got married and they were already like nine and 10 and they lived mostly with their mother. And so we were really the Disney parents, which was a lot of fun. So they would come spend summer vacations with us because my husband was in the military. We were traveling a lot and their stepdad was in the military. So they, so it was sometimes hard to, to get together. So we really were the Disney parents. And I tried to be really intentional about supporting their mother and saying, yes, we are doing these fun things every time you come to visit. But understand that if you lived here, it would be a lot more like what your mother is doing. Like we would have to be strict about bedtimes. We would have to be strict about getting your homework done. You're on vacation right now. So happy to have you come stay with us, but understand that it's not going to be a vacation (laughs) on Tuesday, December 3rd, when you've got to get up and go to class. (laughs) So we were pretty intentional about supporting their mother. And now as sort of a stepmom with a seven-year-old, I just, he's got a mother and he's got a father and they're very involved. And, and other than being, I'd like to think of myself as being the cool aunt. So it's a relationship that's closer than just, you know, dad's girlfriend, but I'm not mom. I'm another adult in their life that is happy to see them succeed and will support whatever discipline or rules that mom and dad feel are important. Now our values align. So it's really easy. I adore the ex-wife of my boyfriend's ex-wife. She's a wonderful person. We had Thanksgiving together, super, I mean, so I know it's so strange. Like there should be a funny story out of it, but there's not. And maybe it's age because the first set of of stepkids, the mom and I, like we're not close. (laughs) And, And I came in the pictures like five years after the divorce. So it's not like, you know, I saw any of that or participated in any of that drama. But, you know, I was 24 and and perhaps not as kind and understanding to the ex-wife as I should have been. And she was young as well. And perhaps she wasn't as kind and understanding towards me. But we've, you know, it's okay. We can we can hang out together and support the grandbaby. Like, you know, I have a step-grandbaby, two of them, as a matter of fact, and they're adorable. But I'm always mindful that I'm not the mom. I'm not the grandma. I'm second. And that's okay. Okay. That was actually going to be one of my, my questions for you was how your relationship is with the older children that you are a step parent to after your husband's passing. We're still in touch. In fact, my son-in-law is working in Fayetteville and they're going to be coming up for dinner on, on the 12th. I sent my kids to go hang out with grandma this last summer so that they spent time with their paternal grandmother. We haven't been down to Florida in a while, which is where my stepson lives, but like we keep connected on Facebook. I, you know, send birthday presents to the grandbaby. We still have a good relationship. I still chat with them. They still are part of my kids' lives and I like them. They're cool people. Like, like I'd hang out with them anyway, but I like that they want to maintain a relationship. So that's, that's super important that they are interested in being a part of my life and being a part of my kid's life. I think that's a testament to you and, and the approach that you took to being a stepmom. You know, you, you clearly had an idea of everybody's role and you respected boundaries and you provided support, but, Mm -hmm. you know, still also 
didn't push. And, and I think that's so important in these types of relationships. All right, Kim, what is a message you think every mom should hear? It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Maybe not today. <laughs> Maybe not next week. But it will be okay. Your children will change. You'll have new things to worry about. It's going to be okay. No matter where they end up, it's going to be okay. That is a mantra we can all put on repeat. <laughs> <laughs> all temporary. <laughs> the good and the bad. Yeah. You are truly yeah, an amazing, lovely, lovely person. Kim, we enjoy our relationship that we have with you. And this time together has really meant a lot. Thank you for all you've shared. Yeah. Thank you. And your yeah. openness. We're very appreciative for that. There's so much value in spending time hearing someone else's story. While listening, there's often lessons to be gained. Spending time with Kim provided some helpful reminders and beneficial takeaways. Here, are our three. Number one, when we asked Kim the advice she would give her younger self, she said, quote, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly, end quote. Kim was referring to the trap that we all fall into, that if we don't get it right away, or if we're not good at something, then we can't enjoy it. It's okay not to be great at something and still do it if you find joy in it. This advice also supports a repeated theme throughout our discussion regarding giving yourself permission to start small or just do little things to get you where you're going. Small steps forward are still movement. Those small steps don't have to be 100% in order to make progress. Number two, balance is an overused term. Kim mentioned that balance is our goal, but along the way, it's important to give yourself grace. What we're actually striving for is integration. Kim said that she's come to realize that it's really about choices. Not everything can be a priority at the same time. Embrace that knowledge and learn to accept your choices by making them with intention. Give yourself the grace to get rid of rigidity and allow yourself to become flexible with whatever your priorities are at that moment. Number three, we can't end this episode without emphasizing Kim's message that she wanted all moms to hear. Kim passionately said, quote, it's going to be okay. Maybe not today, maybe not next week, but it will be okay. Your children will change. You'll have new things to worry about. It's going to be okay. No matter where they end up, it's going to be okay. End quote. Bye, friends. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.